0: Welcome to Pottery Visited. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. And this is episode 12. Today we are covering chapter 12 of Philosopher's Stone, the Mirror of Erised. Or as we like to call it, Wizard Jesus. So
1: talk to me about Draco Malfoy. I realize that Malfoy is
0: such a little bitch. Yep. Like, he started making fun of Harry for literally not having parents. Yep. Like, what kind of bratty kid does that? I'm just thinking, it's just like, haha your parents are dead. Like, how in the world is that funny? And then he doesn't understand why no one's laughing at him. And I'm like, yeah, because
1: who the hell are you? I think with Draco a lot of the time, it's poorly written bullying. Like, it's what a grown person remembers bullying having been, but it's not really what it was. Because I find, like, bullying is harsh and awful and evil, but... It's not, the bully doesn't realize they're the bully most of the time, and there's no way to justify making fun of someone whose parents died. So it kind of feels like Draco was just, like, lazily written as a bully. Like, they didn't really look into, like, which things about Harry would Draco mention. Yeah, he's very flat. Yeah, he's very two-dimensional. There's things I can see him making fun of Harry for, like, make fun of Harry because he's so famous, you know? I'm Harry Potter. Does anyone want an autograph? Or, like, make fun of Harry Potter for... I'm Harry Potter I'm so special look at me on the Gryffindor Quidditch I don't know there are things you can make fun of Harry Potter for that are just regular jerk but making fun of him for having dead parents is hard to believe like I know some kids are just absolutely horrible human beings but I just don't believe it as much I feel like Draco would not a real person wouldn't really go that way about it if they wanted to frazzle Harry. They'd have some sort of morality in what they're doing, regardless of how much they dislike him. Make fun of his dumb hair. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I just, like, rereading that again, it just kind of hit me. Then I was like, this is such, like, 90s, or I guess, like, early 90s, late 80s, like, bullying. And it's just, like, stupid.
1: (laughs) It's like, did my girl wear your letterman's jacket? We're in a fight. Type thing. Like, what? None of that is real. None of those words exist. Very old-timey sort of bullying and well, Draco doesn't do well when the intention's not on him.
0: No one was laughing at his jokes and he got mad and he's like, Well, your parents are dead and also your other family doesn't want you. <laughs> and he's like, Well, jokes, I don't wanna go.
1: <laughs> Toxic family things. I mean, I guess maybe if you look into it a bit, Draco, the only thing he sees himself as having that Harry doesn't is a family. So he tries to make fun of Harry for that, because in his eyes Harry has everything else, and that's why he's so jealous of him. Yeah, Draco's very obviously jealous. He takes his jealousy out on Harry. <laughs> He's like, why am I not the most specialist boy at Hogwarts?
0: Why don't I get to be in
1: the Quidditch team? Yeah, one of the things I really love in this chapter is that the twins are tossing snowballs at the back of Quirrell's head, which means the twins are throwing snowballs directly into the face of Lord Voldemort. And I love it. I respect it. I'm so proud of them. You know, it's one of those things where, like, they didn't even know what they were doing, but they were doing what they would have chosen to do in that moment, had they known. And I respect it.
0: Yeah, this reminds me of, you know how they had that You Know Poo poster in front of their store and Half-Blood Prince? And then Molly's like, could be murdered in their beds? Like, how could they do this? And I'm like, they literally threw snowballs at Baltimore's face. They don't give a shit.
1: Yeah. They do not give a shit.
0: Classic twins. I love it. So I was wondering, we know that um, Ron was supposed to go home from the holidays, which I'm assuming like his brothers and him do every year. But then all of a sudden they say, oh, my parents are actually visiting Charlie, so we're going to stay here. So I was wondering if Ron initiated that, like if he told his parents, actually, I would want to stay at Hogwarts because my friend Harry, he doesn't he's going to stay here. I don't want him to be by himself. And he doesn't usually get a really good Christmas. And so I just want to spend time with him. And then his brothers who always like, Harry, were like, yeah, we'll stay too. And then it just snowballed into this whole thing. Cause I just feel like that's just a really, it's just very like awkward. I think that Ron all of a sudden is staying too. When like, obviously he has a huge family and usually big families equal big Christmas. So I like to think that it's such a very sweet friendship moment where Ron like, wanted to be there for his new friend and like this, despite the fact they have only known each other for like three or four months at this point.
1: I like that as an idea. I don't know if it's in Ron's character to go that much out of his way yet. Like I don't know if mailing a letter to his mother to say, Mom, I don't want to come home for Christmas, Molly Weasley being like, It's your first year away, you have to come home from Christmas. Like I just I feel like it would be hard for Ron in the state of like self-assuredness and confidence he has right now to convince his family, even though it would be such a good excuse to stay at school. I don't know if, uh, if that's something Miss Weasley would stand for either way, just, like, him missing out on being with the family when she won't see him again until the end of the year.
0: Well, I think that she, if he explained it, that, like, Harry was gonna be there by himself, pretty much, because all the other boys in the dormitory were going home, and I feel like Mrs. Weasley would understand that because, you know, mother figure. yeah. And obviously, it might have been too soon at that point, even for her to be like, oh, bring him over here. She's like, oh, yeah, I saved your friend. And then I guess like, the other brothers kind of were like, oh, yeah, we'll stay too. It's fine. And they just decided to go see
1: Charlie. Yeah, I can't imagine Fred and George turning down vastly less supervised time alone at Hogwarts when the castle's mostly empty.
0: Well, that also, I also don't think staying at Hogwarts is that much of, like, like, obviously you'll miss your parents, especially if they haven't seen them since, like, the beginning of the year. But I don't think staying at Hogwarts is kind of, like, lame. It sounds really fun. Like, there's barely any supervision, pretty much. You can kind of get the whole common room to yourself, the whole castle to yourself, pretty much. It sounds really great.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would love to spend Christmas at Hogwarts. Considering I spent my Christmas alone with my boyfriend and self-isolating during coronavirus.
0: See, I think imagining Christmas at Hogwarts doesn't sound too bad after doing our COVID Christmases. Yeah, but I just like the idea of Ron, like, being a really good friend to Harry and just these little moments that you don't quite notice. Because Ron does sacrifice a lot for Harry and, like, lets him into his family. And I feel like the movies especially don't really show the importance of how close Harry and Ron's friendship are I feel a lot of people focus on the relationships in Harry Potter and they focus on some friendships but I just feel like Harry and Ron's friendship is really special and it gets
1: overlooked a lot yeah worm toasty feelings
0: speaking of Ron I was noticing how aggressive he is and compared to like the movies in this book like Malfoy moves from picking on Harry to picking on Ron a lot and Ron's just like he doesn't he just flips a switch yeah he's not there's not even like any like warning he's like Malfoy says something and Ron like lunges it's just like want to fight about it <laughs> and you see that a lot in the books like Ron doesn't take like anything like and Malfoy says something Ron's just ready to go
1: I think it's probably a little bit how they were raised like Harry was raised by people who made fun of him for being an orphan, basically, and made fun of him all the time. So he's probably built up a bit of a thicker skin about that stuff.
0: Also, Harry is taught not to react because the Dursleys were all bigger than him and, like, he could have been kicked out. So he knew to take things, not the bounce off, and to not, like, get run away run away from Dudley and stuff. But Ron was raised with a bunch of brothers who probably fought all the time. And you had to fight.
1: <laughs> but also, I think the things that, like, the things that Ron would be used to being made fun of for... things that his brothers and sister would make fun of him for so they're not things like their family's economic standing or like the types of stuff Malfoy uses is not the types of insults that Ron is used to he hasn't sort of built up an immunity to that type of insult yet because the people he's around would never insult him in that way unlike Harry I also think it's just very in
0: character for Ron and the Weasleys it's like their principles it's just like Malfoy always insults them for like their their like lower economic standing and that's just like and about their, their family and that's just like principle to the Weasleys it's like families they the foundation they're built on and like you don't come at them for something like that yeah
1: and it's what Malfoy's taught the reason they're better than the Weasleys is the Weasleys family situation the fact that they accept muggle stuff so it's what Draco's been taught to think about when he sees the Weasley family so in that particular instance it makes sense that that's what he would use to make fun of them.
0: Anyway, I'm giving Snape another sucks count because he totally blew off Mel by being a stupid bully, even though Hagrid was there and Hagrid saw him. Yeah. So I don't know what the total is now, but I will I will put it down somewhere. I think we're at four so far.
1: He has his moments and he was being a bit of a dick. It's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> another thing
0: is, when rereading this before work, is they are so obsessed with looking for Nicholas from Elk, even Harry and Ron are willingly like giving up free time to go look for his name in the library and generally like they are have to like really force themselves to do their homework like typical 11 year olds and i was wondering like what is like the the pull to this is it just the mystery that knowing that they shouldn't know who nicholas Smell is 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 it like i don't know what's like really because they don't really know much about there's no voldemort connection now so the whole like need isn't really there yet but this is just like this little mystery and like they're so obsessed with it all three of them i was wondering like
1: why I think it's a little bit just the not knowing, like they want to know what they're not supposed to know because as soon as you tell a kid you can't know this, you can't do this, they'll latch on to that thing. But I think it's also a little bit like the high stakes of it, like knowing about Fluffy and everything now, it seems like such a high stakes thing, such a like deeply dangerous, risky, and traumatizing, potentially sort of storyline for them. Like they need to know what happens because they know it's going to be having really big implications on their lives of the lives of those around them so I think it's kind of that Gryffindor like this looks like it's going to be a big deal we should jump right in and be a part of it as much as possible
0: yeah it's probably the Gryffindor traits in them but I just like there's so much time like like Harry especially Harry and Ron willingly spending that much time just to find out this one name I was like that must just pull must be so strong
1: I always wondered why in situations like this they don't like casually ask a painting or something like hey do you know who Nicholas Flamel is? You know?
0: I think the thing is, like, they're, that they say Harry knows he's heard the name somewhere, but he can't remember where. So that also might be, like, pushing at him. Because I know I hate the feeling when, like, you think you know something or something's, like, really vague in your mind, but you
1: can't for, like, you remember, like, where you saw it or... On the tip of your tongue. Yeah. Drives me crazy. My other thing is, like, why are they celebrating Christmas? I guess, obviously, like, in a lot of schools, there's probably a number of students that are Christian. But, like, there's probably a number of students who are christian and that's fair but there are probably a bunch of students who aren't but also they're wizards and i wonder if wizards would not have a completely different understanding of religion just because like the things jesus apparently did are like magic so do they have like a a wizard jesus like is he just a wizard in their eyes and so they worship it in that way because there's got to be other religions but also because Christianity... Yeah,
0: the whole religion thing's interesting because also Harry Potter
1: was seen as witchcraft. <laughs> exactly. Christianity frowns upon witchcraft. So I'd like to know like, what version of Christianity they are a part of. Because things like Wiccan make more sense to me as like the religion of witches and wizards, so it would be interesting to like understand what their Christianity looks like.
0: I feel like you're hope you're opening up a whole like barrel of worms that that this whole we like, could there could be a whole episode of like religion and Harry Potter and like what it means.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, because we also don't know. There's got to be religious diversity there. They're not all. Christian I'm sure and yeah these books
0: this whole series didn't do well on like the diversity of characters as is well documented.
1: Realistically you have to assume some of them are Muslim some of them are Christian some of them are Catholic some of them are Hindu some of them you know you have to imagine that there's a number of different religions being celebrated but I mean even in our schools growing up they still called it the Christmas vacation even though there were students that had completely different religions so I guess it makes sense. It just seems strange that I guess it's, like, the convenient religion to choose. Like, the author, I guess, maybe is Christian, or that's the most common religion in the UK. I don't know.
0: Well, I think, like, Christmas time is, like, it's a very, like, I don't know, the timing works out because it's a holiday. But it's also just, like, the w- way of Christmas is, like, before the new
1: year looking back to the, pa- the past and everything. I just think it's weird how... Christmas it is like I just feel like wizard Christmas even if we're assuming the wizards are some version of Christian or if they all have their own religions but celebrate this holiday just because it's fun whatever it is it seems like their version of christianity has got to be a little bit different even if it's just magic is okay and because you explain
0: like a lot of things from the bible as magic but it kind of changes everything even Santa too like Santa could be a wizard and just like it's this actual person instead of just like you know something you tell your children to make the magic happen. I just think it's funny with all of the Christian stuff because Harry Potter got banned in a lot of schools for like being witchcraft and evil, but there's a Christian holiday. <laughs> I was wondering that why did the Dursleys even send Harry a gift? Like obviously it's just a, like a coin, and they're just like, can
1: you not come back? If you if you read the note, it's something along the lines of like as per your letter or whatever. Here is your gift. Which makes me think that someone at the school sent the Dursleys a letter being like, you better send Harry a Christmas present. So they came up with like the stupidest, most offensive thing.
0: I wonder if Mrs. Weasley uh, wrote to them. Because I think Ron mentions writing to his mom and mentioning that Harry wasn't expecting to get a lot of presents, so she went out of her way to give him a bunch of stuff. So I'm wondering if she's like, well, why wouldn't his aunt and uncle? And she's like, oh, maybe they didn't know how. And she's like,
1: you should send, like, this is how you send Harry a gift. I think Miss Weasley's way smarter than that. I think maybe Miss Weasley, like her response to Harry not getting gifts was to give him a bunch of gifts. I feel like telling the Dursleys they have to get Harry gifts is like a Minerva McGonagall, Elvis Dumbledore sort of thing.
0: Yeah, Maybe. I actually don't think Dumbledore really cares, because we know Dumbledore. But I could see McGonagall. You're right. It was a Minerva McGonagall. Yeah, it's just so, so weird. Because I don't think Harry ever said he got presents living with the jerseys, so I don't know why he was expecting... It felt like I... Just read it quickly, so I forgot about the note.
1: He was expecting nothing, and he got, what was it, 50 cents? 50 pence? 50 pence, yeah, he gave it to Ron because Ron's like, this is cool. Wow. (laughs) Muggle money. I love, love, love Harry getting the Weasley sweater. It's such an early sign that he's already a complete and total member of their family, and he barely even knows them. Yeah. It's gotta feel so good. Like, a gift like that that's not just, like, chocolate, because everyone likes chocolate. It's, like, personal and miss weasley made that
0: you know as someone who knits like that's like i obviously magic probably
1: helps i wish i had magic for my knitting projects but that's a lot of time and effort so it's pretty impressive that she took the time to make it for him and it's not just a sweater like everyone in her family gets a sweater sort of like that he immediately is a part of this family and it's it's really nice
0: Especially because knowing that Ron told her he wasn't expecting a lot, and then she just, like, basically gives him a gift that basically includes him in her family. Like, it's not even that she just gave him, like, to, like, compare it to now, like, a gift card or something. It's, like, a very personalized gift, like, something she made herself. It's very sweet.
1: Very, very, very sweet. Also on the subject of gifts, I love that Harry, immediately after showing Ron, decides to keep his invisibility cloak a secret. Like, I find that to be a very Slytherin choice. Like, this could be used for things in all kinds of ways. Until I've decided how it's going to be used and I've sort of defined how it's going to be a part of our lives, I'm not showing it to anyone. And I get that. I think it's a very clever, cunning
0: shows Harry Ron's friendship because he trusts Ron with it, but he doesn't want to share with anyone else right now. I think especially Fred and George. And I think he kind of knew that if Fred and George saw it, it would become his whole thing. And he's like, I don't want to deal with that right now.
1: Yeah, they would use it for goofy pranks. Yeah,
0: could you imagine the twins of an (laughs) invisibility cloak? I can
1: imagine it. And it's hilarious. But I think Filch would have had a stroke. I think it would have led to them getting caught and it getting confiscated pretty quick. So I think Harry keeping it secret was the right choice.
0: Greg and Forge is the best, uh, dynamic dynamic duo.
1: We know our names. (laughs) Greg and Forge. Gred. Greg and Forge. See, I can't even... Oh, yeah. Greg and Forge. The twin sweaters. Glorious. Really glorious.
0: So I love how the twins seem kind of nice to Percy. I was like reading this because I'm so used to reading later books where like Percy's like kind of like their scapegoat for everything they hate. And they get really and they kind of become more rude to him as they get older. But this is kind of like they tease him for being a prefect and stuff. And obviously there's some resentment because they're he's shouted for more attention because he's like... Doing what they expect of him, and the twins are more free-spirited. But they're all—they're all kind of like, "Put your sweater on! Like you're sitting with us today. It's Christmas. You're not sitting with the
1: prefects." And it's just very cute to see. I don't know if they're doing that to be welcoming and loving or if they're doing that because they know it'll annoy the heck out of Percy. Well, I just think it's 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 like a good natured,
0: like brothers, like siblings kind of things. Like I would tease like my brother or my sister like that. And it just, it feels different and more like innocent and nice than compared to like in the later books where things are a bit more rude or especially in the much later books where Percy's like, don't say his name, he's a terrible person. We're better off without him. The
1: true he should not be. He who should not be named. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Perilous Wasby. Moving into their, like, Christmas dinner time. I love the idea of Dumbledore in a big, goofy floral bonnet. It sparks a lot of joy.
0: These wizard crackers are, they sound so much better than the, the ones I had at Christmas. I was wondering how much these, like, cost. Because they, they contain, like, full-size hats. Harry gets, like, a freaking chess set. Like, a whole, like usable chess set from a cracker like how big are they and like they have live
1: mice and I mean they're probably magicked up you know like a lot of magic so it's you buy something cheap and you add a bit of extra magic to it like I feel I can see that not being too expensive in the wizarding world where those things are possible like you just put a shrinking spell on things then when it breaks open they go back to their regular size it
0: just makes my little tissue paper crown and stupid joke and whatever else I got in my cracker this year look really bad
1: yeah Well, we can't all have wizard Christmas crackers. I wish we could, though. (laughs) We also
0: got the professors drinking on the clock, which surprises me. Like, McGonagall's, like, they literally say she's tipsy. And Hagrid kisses her on the cheek because Hagrid's also drinking, no surprise.
1: And McGonagall's blushing. I let loose McGonagall, put your hair down, have a good time.
0: Like, I get that, like, it's Christmas time and there's only a few students, but I'm like, they're still technically supervising, like, children. I feel like
1: maybe one or two of them have to stay sober, but the rest of them can drink and it's fine. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like they should maybe wait for after hours time, but, you know, go down to Hogsmeade. The drinking gets weirder when we get into the time of day discussion. They eat dinner. Then they spend the afternoon outside, which tells me dinner was before the afternoon. So they had dinner at breakfast time or like dinner at early lunch time. I think in some places in the UK,
0: uh, dinner is actually referred to, like, lunchtime, and tea is, like, dinner, but it's, like, early dinner. Like, I think tea is, like, four o'clock. When I watch, like, old, like, UK shows, like, Call the Midwife or, like, stuff like that, they always refer to tea, like, making your tea, but it's, 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 like, a meal. So I'm assuming that's kind of, like, a dinner kind of meal. But then the dinner, I'm assuming, would be kind of, like, a late
1: lunch kind of affair. Well, weren't they having, like, turkey and stuff? It sounded like a dinner dinner, like, a weird time of day to be eating, like, mashed potatoes and
0: yeah I know very strange I mean when I have like Christmas
1: my family usually eats like the whole day (laughs) I don't know I just think it's strange because a they're drinking before noon now right like these Minerva McGonagall is day drunk in front of the students
0: yeah, I mean, it's Christmas. So I guess I have
1: concerns now that I consider the time of day.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's some kind of British Britishism. So if anyone knows, let us know because it's concerning. So moving back to the cloak, and we obviously we know Dumbledore gave Harry the cloak, and it was James's cloak. Harry doesn't really know a lot about his parents, except for what the Grangers have told him, which were lies, plus what Hagrid has told him, which is like, based on truth, but obviously Hagrid has some kind of, like, hero worship, like, he says they're good people, but obviously Harry Hagrid doesn't know them as well as, like, their friends would. Hagrid's older than them. So this is, like, the first kind of thing, like, he gets that belongs to, he knows it belongs to his father, like, a physical object. So it's just, like, his reaction's very, like, interesting to it, because, like, I just feel so bad for Harry that he's, no one's really told to him anything about his parents besides, like, in the passing, and so he has, like, no, like, he has this connection to it, but it's like he knows of his parents. And then this is kind of a chapter where it kind of opens up this whole grief and longing because these people he'll never know but he hears all this stuff about but he doesn't really get a lot of
1: information. He just he just sort of needs to know and no one tells him anything and he only knows tiny bits about his parents so they're almost just like this outline of people he doesn't know any of the little things, he doesn't know what they were like, he doesn't know what they were interested in, he doesn't know.
0: Yeah they just know that they're they're good people he has his mom's eyes, he looks like his dad, they were good wizards etc. They were murdered, that's all he really knows. And that's just funny, why did Dumbledore wait until now to give him the quote because obviously he's he's had this for a while
1: and also I think one of the big moments for Harry was finding out that his dad was also on the Quidditch team impacts him so much and it's probably because it's one of the first things he's learned about his father as like just as a person and it's something he can share with him yeah so that's why Quidditch means so much to Harry it's something he's kind of doing with his father
0: like why he's so good at it because he he felt like he was never good at anything and this came really naturally to him and it's also kind of like the connection like oh so my dad was good at Quidditch and now I got that from him instead of just like all like the physical things that he attributes to looking like his parents yeah I'm just wondering why Dumbledore waited so long well
1: I have a bit of a theory about that because Dumbledore's had it forever I think Dumbledore who has this evil plan where he wants Harry to confront Voldemort and he wants to test Harry and Hermione and Ron and see how far they can go in solving their own problems and stuff like he's preparing Harry for the inevitable future where Harry's gonna have to kill Voldemort So Dumbledore waited until Hagrid told him that they were looking into Nicholas Flamel. Once Dumbledore knew that they were sort of on the case and looking into that, it was the right time to give them the cloak because they would then be able to use the cloak to further investigate. So he gave it to them as like a tool to encourage and assist them. On their quest, basically.
0: Interesting. And it goes back to the theory that Dumbledore planned everything that happened to Harry in Thirstyear.
1: I mean, they de- he definitely did. We'll get into some of the reasons why <laughs> in the later chapters. But things are too perfectly matched to Harry, Hermione, and Ron for it not to have been entirely on purpose. How about Master Dumbledore? But yeah, that's my theory. Dumbledore gave it to them, being like, "Okay, this is where he's headed. This is the path he's taking. I want him on this path. I'll give him this fun tool to help him on the quest."
0: It just doesn't make it sense for him to keep for any of the reason besides that, because like, what reason does he have to hold on to James's property that she never really should have had in the first place? But we'll probably get into that way later on. I feel like once Harry got to school, he could have he could have done the same thing. I just leave it on his back, being like, "This was your dad's. It's it's yours now, because it belongs to you as the rightful owner."
1: But he waits till Christmas. I think he he doesn't. He doesn't wait till Christmas. He waits until Harry using the cloak benefits his Dumbledore's personal plan and goals. Just giving the cloak away to him isn't clever. Like it doesn't help his plan and everything Dumbledore does is sort of focused on his own end goals so he wouldn't have like just given away something that could be used to benefit him later he waited until it would help him to do so and then he gave it to Harry oh yes Dumbledore is very deliberate with everything he does yeah but he's still a dick we so had a Snape point here well, yeah I mean Snape is filch out looking for people and sneaking around out there And I guess it just means that he thinks Quirrell is probably the one who was sneaking around looking at library books, right? Because Snape knows someone was caught in the library, they don't know who. Snape knows Quirrell's bad news. So I feel like Harry going out there and messing up a bit and being all suspicious is probably going to make Snape a little more watchful and a little more likely to pay attention and keep a closer eye on things. Just because he thinks Quirrell's up to way more than Quirrell's actually gotten up to yet, kind of. Dumbledore did tell does tell Snape to watch out for Quirrell, but I don't think
0: Snape knows at that point that Voldemort's on the back of his head, so he's assuming that Quirrell's going to go after that stone for some probably just for his own reasons and he is thinking that he would be using it to research but obviously he has Voldemort on his side so. So moving on to our last little section we have Harry's obsession with the Mirror of Arized
1: and just the Mirror of Erised in general. It borderlines on addiction very quickly becomes an addiction. Yeah the very it's a very interesting object though. Definitely is it's definitely like like a, a mirror that shows you your deepest desires. It's definitely a very strong kind of magic because it's almost to a sense needs to read your mind but read deeper into your mind beyond what you're just thinking read into your soul pretty much yeah it's very very interesting super complex magic yeah,
0: i feel it felt weird reading this chapter again because i feel like i see the mirror differently now that than an adult and hey, reading like reading because it even describes harry doesn't know what he's feeling he's going through like a depression he's like anxious he has like going through like grief and longing and he has all these nightmares and dreams of his parents and everything and it's just like all this like grief that he for people that he didn't know really and it's just it's really like an overwhelming emotion reading it like because you feel so sad for this little kid who has no idea who his parents are and he's seeing them for the first time but then he like he can't stop seeing them but they're not really there and it's just like he wants the feeling of having a family so bad And you just stares into that mirror for hours.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you could see yourself with the things you want most around you, you'd do it and you do it all the time. I mean, even just think about people with like their Instagram accounts where they put all the filters on themselves to make themselves look and the makeup to look exactly how they want to look. And then that's what they put out there and that's what they want to look at. And that's, Mm -hmm. imagine being able to not have to Photoshop it and just look in the mirror and see yourself how you want to be, but also doing what you want to be doing, surrounded by who you want to be surrounded by. It's, like, the ultimate television show. (laughs) I
0: think it's, yeah, just for Harry, too, because, especially because no one's given him any, any information about his parents, half of what he knows is a lie, and so he has spent 11 years learning this lie about his parents from his aunt and uncle, then he's only told a little bit about his parents as he's come to school, but no one's given him any real information, so this is, like, what he's getting. He's actually seeing them for the first time. Like, no one's even shown him a picture which honestly breaks my heart a little bit, just to know that he's like never even saw what his parents look like. He's only been told that he looks like his dad, but he has his mother's eyes. And to be able to see him smiling at them. And even like they're crying in the mirror,
1: looking at him. It says something very interesting about the mirror, that the reflection of Lily and James, it puts, is correct, because they couldn't have read that in Harry's mind, because Harry doesn't know what they look like. At least not consciously, he couldn't possibly remember something that happened from them from that long ago so the mirror is doing something beyond just reading Harry's mind because those are accurate representations of what they look like so it's almost like it makes a culmination of everything they see in the minds of everybody whoever looks in the mirror and then uses the information that those people give them in their minds to like fill in the blanks in other people's very interesting magic very interesting magic to have him see his parents as they are despite not knowing what they look like
0: very weird I don't get how it works so
1: you have a theory with Dumbledore and the mirror. I always have theories about Dumbledore. So many theories about Dumbledore. So uh, after Harry's caught looking in the mirror by Dumbledore, Dumbledore's like, yeah, don't come here and don't look at this anymore. But on the off chance that you run into it again, let me explain to you how it works. He's like immediately like deciding, okay, this is how I'm going to use this mirror and to help Harry on his little quest, you know? He's already like back at it again immediately. Yeah,
0: I'm wondering if he kind of set it up for, like, that happened to be the only unlocked classroom. Probably. That Harry could get into after running from the library. It just seems very deliberate. He
1: definitely wanted to give Harry all of the advantages he could going into the inevitable face-off with Voldemort. Face-off being the best term for that particular (laughs) duel. Wow intentional puns i think that that's the only reason he bothered to explain it to harry because dumbledore not exactly known for oversharing or giving people information just so that they can learn for fun so it's definitely a, here's all the information you're going to need later when you do the thing i want you to do i think it says a lot about who ron is as a person what he sees in the mirror versus
0: yeah we get a lot of ron's psychology because harry assumes i mean he's 11 so he assumes that this mirror shows you your family because that's just what he thinks, because that's what he saw. So he tells Ron, you got to come back. So then you can show me your whole family, because I've never met some of your brothers, and like I've never seen, like your, fam- like, your parents. So Ron's like, yeah, whatever, because it's his family. He sees them all the time. But then Ron sees himself holding the Quidditch cup, and the house cup, and he's head boy, and he's Quidditch captain, and he's all these accolades that some of his siblings had, but he's all of them at the same time, which really shows how much he wants, like, glory and appreciation, and he wants to be good at something, which is basically a whole running thing of Ron's character is his insecurities about how he's perceived by his family, with his friends, with his peers, and just wanting to be good or the best at something.
1: Exactly. That's what I think it is.
0: And it's sad because some of those aren't true. Like he doesn't become Quidditch captain, he doesn't become head boy, but he does learn that he doesn't have to be those things because he he kind of learns throughout the the series, but like how to kind of love himself
1: more. Yeah, I think that that's sort of the main point of all of those things. Because Ron doesn't just see himself being really, really good at one thing. He sees him holding all these different awards in all these different areas and all these different accolades. Which says to me, Ron's deepest ambition isn't to be the best at Quidditch, isn't to be the best boy in school, isn't to be the smartest, isn't to be... It's just to have something about him that makes him unique and valuable in a different way than the rest of his family. Because he has to compete with all the other siblings in his mind to stand out and be an individual and to have something that makes him uniquely significant to the family. And so the fact that it's not just one thing like, oh, I want to be smarter or I want to be, it's not any of those like sort of tangible things. He just wants something, whatever thing it might be, To make him stand alone and have significance and be... He wants some kind of recognition. Have his own individual sort of strength and something that makes him stand out sort of from a crowd of successful Weasleys.
0: Yes, and it's very interesting comparing them because we have like Ron who has the whole family and all he sees is himself. And he just himself and like what he wants for himself to be recognized for being good at something and not compare it to his siblings i mean harry who has no family just seeing the family that he can never have all surrounding him and like being like enloped in family which ron has all the time but harry doesn't and they actually get in a bit of a fight because they both want to look in the mirror because they're both so drawn to it and they're both drawn to like these desires that both of them have but they're so opposite
1: yeah it's interesting that despite being so opposite in the core, both of them are a family that loves them. Ron wants to feel like he deserves his family's love and like they love him. So he's presenting himself in the mirror as someone who's done enough things they deserve to be loved. Or you can't not love someone who's done so many things. While Harry's is seeing a family that in his mind hypothetically would love him and did love him. That's all, that's what, which is interesting, really. Does Dumbledore would say... It's all about love. Speaking of
0: Dumbledore, uh, Dumbledore says that he sees himself holding a pair of woolen socks. But do we
1: believe him? No, I don't even believe him at all. I mean, first of all, he lies all the time. Yeah, Dumbledore's a liar. So second of all, it's a really deep
0: and intimate question to ask a person. I never think about it as a kid. It's just this funny thing. Cause I remember reading that in class, because I was our class book in the third grade. And everyone's like, that's just so Dumbledore, it's so weird and quirky. But you never think about, like, how deep it is. It's like, what is your deepest desire? Like,
1: that's personal. I
0: don't think he's allowed to
1: say. Like, it depends on, like, what canon we believe to be canon.
0: Like, Harry thinks about it. And he's like, huh. Because I I think people do theorize that he would have seen something similar to Harry. His family intact in the mirror.
1: Maybe. And that in a real... I think the only reason I don't think... Dumbledore in this moment would just look in the mirror and see himself with Ariana and his brother and his parents and all being happy is that I think Dumbledore would have told Harry that not because he's a good person but because if they had seen similar things in the mirror he would so early on in the series have so much control over Harry because Harry would relate to him so much and suddenly feel so emotionally connected to him I can't see him turning down the opportunity to have Harry hooked like that so to me he saw something else which brings into question what what
0: is something dark because we know Dumbledore wanted power so maybe he saw himself with like the ultimate power
1: yeah exactly yeah so first I would say I would see him as the master of death with all the all the um deathly hallows maybe he would have the wand he'd have the cloak he'd have you know what I mean the stone yeah lending the cloak to Harry knowing that he could get it back from Harry whenever he needs it isn't giving it up really so I think he could see himself as that. All the Hallow is master of death. He could see, I mean, if we're believing it, he could see Grindelwald, but not as a dick. I
0: don't know. I feel like Fantastic Beasts ruined Grindelwald for me.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But like, if if that, if we believe that thing that wasn't at all mentioned in the actual canon to be a thing, maybe he saw that. Yeah. Reading between the lines. Or maybe it was just something specific. Like he just saw his greatest desire might have just been like the battle he had with Grindelwald that... Killed Ariana. It could just be that, but it going differently, you know. So he wouldn't tell Harry because it's not just oh, I see my family I miss. It would be oh, I see the time I accidentally maybe killed my sister, which wouldn't really bring him closer to Harry. So I feel like maybe that's his deepest desires to go back and undo that.
0: Seeing Dumbledore as a manipulator now, like probably when I was a kid or a bit maybe like a young adult, like new teenager, I probably would have seen like oh, he saw a scandal like Harry because Dumbledore is like a sweet guy. But now I'm like, well, he probably saw something like pretty creepy or dark or dark Dumbledore because Dumbledore's a manipulator and a liar.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so my top guesses are he saw himself as the master of death with all the hallows or he saw himself redoing the fight with Grindelwald, with Ariana there and deflecting it or protecting her and that her death not happening. Because again, selfishly, I'm sure that's the thing he feels most guilty about. So I feel like he would be able to go about his life much easier if he didn't have the guilt of his sister's death on his conscience. So I think that's probably what he sees, but not what you want to tell an 11-year-old boy who's like, I see my family that I love and miss and never got to meet. Oh, I see my sister I may have killed. (laughs) Yeah, I probably would spin things a bit different. That would be counterproductive. Yeah, I think so. My question is, why does he go with woolly socks? Is there some sort of inside joke between Albus Dumbledore and other people we don't know about woolly socks?
0: Well, he says that people always buy him books and stuff and they never give him socks. And I feel like socks is kind of like funny because like, isn't it like when you're a kid, you always get socks for Christmas and you never want them? Then when you're an adult, you ask for socks for Christmas. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I love socks. I love getting socks for Christmas. But I wonder if it's like a deeper thing. Like the fact that he says, I always get books, people think that's what I want. Maybe it's like a gentle reminder that despite the fact that he's brilliant and he's intelligent and he's smart and that's the thing people think of him as, he's also just a a human. He's just a guy. Like he's not completely godly. Yeah. He still needs basic human things to survive, like socks. He doesn't always want to be intellectually stimulating himself and learning more and reading. Sometimes he just wants what other humans want. And maybe it also makes him feel devalued as a whole person when people only get him gifts based on one aspect of who he is, which is his intelligence, by buying him books. He's like, I might be really smart, but also I'm very... These other things. Cold of foot. <laughs> yeah, you can have other interests. It's normal. It's annoying to be pushed into one group, so I get that. It's annoying to have people like, oh good, she's smart. We'll just get her smart people stuff. Or, Dumbledore doesn't want more books. He wants one of those like big bulletin boards with paper and like little pins that like serial killers and the people who track serial killers have, so he can like make plots. <laughs> like a little cork board? Yeah, he just wants a board for all his plots.
0: Ending it off, do we want to think about what would we would see in the mirror? It's a pretty deep question. I don't know.
1: <laughs> deep and personal. I mean, I'd definitely see a dog. I'd see my dog. I'd see dog. <laughs>
0: yes, uh, we didn't actually announce at the beginning of the episode. Shay has a new member of her family.
1: Yes, me and my boyfriend have adopted a dog. She's a rescue and she's beautiful. Her name is Nimbus. Which we love it. Yeah, she's a really, really pale, light, sort of golden color. And we'll probably share a photo somewhere on socials, maybe. Oh, yeah. At some point, you will all see Nimbus so much you will. Be graced with her beauty. She's a delight. She spends most of her days napping on my bed while I'm trying to do my work from home. Amazing. Our whole li- our lives are infinitely better having her. She's a delight. Pets make everything better. Definitely look in the mirror and see a dog. But like I feel like the other things I would see are based more on like my fears than my passions. Like there's so many things that stress me out and scare me so much. It would just be seeing like the opposite of that rather than actually seeing the positive things. Like, I worry about not being good enough at my job. I don't necessarily want special accolades, but maybe I'd see myself with a special accolade from my job just so I feel safer about it, you know?
0: Yeah, I feel like as an adult, most of the things I think about that I desire would just be success in, like, different aspects of my life. I feel like when you reach close to 30, especially as a female, you start thinking of the things you feel like society tells you you should have obtained by that point in your life like a house, the family, the marriage, etc. So I think I might see something similar to that, but I feel like right now I probably see something close to my career aspirations, etc. Moving on to closing remarks, what are your closing
1: remarks for this chapter? My closing remarks are, are I would love to know which historic wizard created the Mirror of Erised because it's very neat and it seems like some very complicated magic and I like the idea of an invisibility cloak because I could run and go get snacks while completely naked because I hate pants
0: my closing remarks are that this chapter really like really actually got into like my heart because just thinking of Harry and like just like this grief that he's never had to deal with until now and it just kind of breaks my heart all over again and just why did no one ever why does no one in this book until like the end of it really give him any like physical objects or talk to him about his parents like it's not i guess
1: it's awkward
0: it's not okay thank you for
1: listening to this episode of potter revisited thank you for listening don't forget to uh follow our podcast or like our podcast on spotify and apple play music and all the other apps from which you may listen you can feel free to reach out to us on twitter at Potter Revisited, or on Facebook, even Instagram,
0: even TikTok. If you have any thoughts or theories about future chapters or any episodes, you can email us at Potter Revisited Podcast at gmail.com. And we will see you next time when we cover the next chapter, which is Chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel. Bye! <laughs>